If you enjoy this episode of Obscure Obsessions, please remember to rate us, review us, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. And now, the Obscure Obsessions Christmas Special. Oh, I'm just noticing. This may... I hope it didn't do this for all of it. Mm-hmm. No, only the first time it did. In my notes, it auto-corrected Groden to Gordon. So for the first time I reference him, it's Charles Gordon, who I don't know who that is. No, I don't know. But then later in the notes, it's Charles Groden, which is correct. And I know who that is. What episode were we talking about that time? Or not episode. In what episode were oh, we... Oh, did we mention Charles where Groden's I, death? Yeah, where I looked... I think it was one of the original proto minis. I think it was in Police Academy Five, where. Uh, that sounds right. Because remember, I was I was watching something. No, I thought it was that you thought about. I wonder where Charles Grodin is or what he's been up to recently. Right. You searched and then he was dead. Yeah, but I think what precipitated that was I was watching a movie with him. In it. I think it was a movie called The Couch Trip, which is not a great. It, it's with um, Dan Aykroyd and uh-huh. he, and he's a psychiatrist. He in um, that one with uh, Martin Short, Clifford. Yes, Clifford. That was that's a weird one. I never saw that, but I just know I've seen that on. Is that on Max recently or yes. Prime? That, Something like that's that. That's the one where he's a Martin little Short boy. is supposed to be... Does he have a Benjamin Button disease or something like that? No, he's just a little boy. But he looks like Martin Short. I always get Clifford and the movie Dave mixed up. The one with... Tim, with uh, Oh, God. What's his name? He was married to Susan Saran. Not Susan Saran. No, no, no. Kevin Klein. The movie oh, Dave oh, where yeah. he... He is a lookalike for the president. And I think the president oh, yes. in the movie dies. And so they need someone to replace him for a while. And he and he's... I, and Ving, I never saw that one. But. That was pretty good. Ving Rhames was in it. Oh. Uh, Mission Impossible 7. Sigourney Weaver is in it. Okay. Ivan Reitman directed it, I believe. Oh. I believe Gary Ross. Uh, oh. Pleasantville, Seabiscuit. Right. Hunger Games. Uh, did it. But Charles Grodin, of course... One of my favorites. Right. And, and the star of My Summer Story, but not Charles Gordon. No. He's not. And My Summer... Well, it's appropriate, though, that Charles Gordon has two different names, since the movie has minimally <laughs> the, the, two right, different names. two different names. Because what was the background? That My Summer Story, which is a sequel to... It's a sequel. Right. It's a sequel to A Christmas Story. Right. I think originally... Was it that the original title was called It Runs in the Family? And then they changed... Or no, it was reverse, right? Reverse. Didn't they originally go into it with My Summer Story listed as yes. the title? It was originally supposed to be called My Summer Story, but MGM feared that it was going to be uh, unfairly compared to A Christmas Story. But how do you not? I mean, so especially re- after you see the movie. So it was retitled to disassociate it from its predecessor. But by the time it went out on VHS, it went back to my summer story. I don't know that it would make any difference because how would the person who's paying that much attention to? Well, this was what ninety four. Ninety four. So I think it's ten years, eleven uh, years, eleven or something years. after. That's one of those cases where it feels like they just dumped it. Yeah. That they said, well, we don't even want it to be a sequel. That's it- the thing that kind of shocks me about it is it doesn't have any sort of lack of production design or anything to signify that this would be a television movie or straight to DVD or anything like that. Uh, yeah. it's. But you know what it reminded me most of? It reminded me of those Neil Simon uh, adaptations. The, the better ones. Uh-huh. The ones that are not the real sagey ones but the ones that are very you're viewing reality through sort of this prism Mm -hmm. and in fact this film my summer story has a lot of prisms because you're viewing it the story through the eyes of a child but you're also viewing it from the eyes of an adult who's looking back on the events of his childhood and of course maybe because i had no i had not seen uh, a Christmas, Christmas story. story, and I had no expectations for this movie. That I was sort of surprised as well as excited to learn certain things about this movie. Sure, I, I loved uncovering that as the movie was going on. Well, even when we were at the mall the other day, oh yeah, that's uncovering true. that a Christmas story. This is a Christmas uh, special 
even though we're doing it on a summer movie, sure. as well as My Summer Story, are part of a whole secret, interconnected <laughs> cinematic universe. universe. Which, that was surprising to learn because I feel like the mass audience knows of exactly two Christmas story yeah, movies. Yeah, maybe three. Maybe, maybe three. that other one. But to hear that it's one of nine movies or something like that? That Christmas Story is actually the third in a saga that has been variously referred to as a Christmas Story franchise, the Ralph Parker franchise, the Parker Family Saga, and Gene Shepard's Parker Family Saga. Now, in my day, the Parkers was a sitcom with Monique. Right. (laughs) And uh, Countess Vaughn. The one that kind of feels the most... I hate to say pretentious, but when you put the author's name above it, especially because you're talking about light, fluffy entertainment comparatively, it's not exactly Mario Mario Puzo's Puzo's The The Godfather Godfather trilogy. That's weird. Last weekend, we were talking about the possessory title or the possessory (laughs) credit. Well, the other aspect that got me excited about my summer story was as soon as I heard the narration Mm -hmm. and realized it's the father from Carousel of Progress. And see, being someone that hears that voice and automatically goes to Carousel of Progress, I think I have seen Christmas Story in its entirety once, maybe twice in my 28 years on this blue marble. Well, let me tell you something. Every year, for the past, I don't know, five years kept saying, you know what, this is the year I'm finally going to watch. This is the Christmas I'm finally going to watch A Christmas Story. And I would say each year you do find something new to watch. Yeah, and this one never makes the cut. Never, never has. Except now, because early this morning. (gasps) You did. While the rest of the world was asleep. And before I was working on my syllabus. <laughs> well, all, all the little who boys and girls. girls. I decided, you know what? I enjoyed a summer story. I want to talk thoroughly about it. I don't want to spend the whole episode saying, did that happen in a Christmas story? <laughs> when I saw the second Blade Runner, I said to my friend, is he a, a vampire or is he a robot or is he a, what is he? Uh-huh. I didn't want to be doing that to this whole episode. And I was inspired. Because I did enjoy my summer story. Okay. I loved hearing Gene Shepard, the father in the Carousel of Progress, mm-hmm. which, of course, for those of those three of you out there, that's the ride at uh, uh, Tomorrowland and Tomorrow Disney, Disney World. Which actually makes sense because it, it's sort that's of a good similar. Point. So anyways, this morning on the date, we won't say because it will spoil our Christmas special, <laughs> I finally watched A Christmas Story after 32 is it 32? Yeah, 32 years on wow. this planet. And, well, A Christmas Story has this real cult following. Definitely. Because it wasn't a success originally, right? I don't think so. I think this was a case of where it became... Oh, actually, it, was, it says it was a sleeper hit. Well, it had modest success... But I think it definitely blossomed over the years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It took a while for it to become uh, in the years due to television airings and I was going to say, I imagine that it being on TV all the time is what helped. Because they do those 24 hour of it. And I I think actually on Christmas, because every time I go down to my aunt's house for Christmas. Yeah. They have the TV running, and I'm almost positive it's a 24 hour channel of a Christmas I think it goes from Christmas Eve to Christmas night. And I did not, this is a case of where you get into things because people show you things. Mm -hmm. So in my house, we watched, what was that one with Chevy Chase? Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation, Scrooged. Mm -hmm. uh, Any of the Christmas carols. Any of the Christmas carols, uh, Rankin Bass movies. Yep. I know for you. uh, Megan's (laughs) annual tradition is on Christmas Eve, she watches Polar Express. And there's certain ones that you become part of your tradition because you watch, you were introduced to them. Right. My parents never, I don't know if they even saw it. We never watched it. I never owned it on any physical medium. Nope. Or media. And as a result, I could care less about it. And the only reason I became interested in watching A Christmas Story was because of my summer story. (laughs) 
<laughs> so it's weird how the little known and obscure movie is what made me go watch the cult classic. That is sort of Which is, what our show is. But really, what really got me interested in this whole saga, this whole hidden saga, uh-huh. was Gene Shepard. And now, Gene Shepard was a, a humorist, I believe is what you would probably call him. And all of these films are based on his stories. And from what I understand, he was a radio guy. He was a radio host and a humorist. And on his radio show, he would tell stories, these sort of quasi more so... Semi-autobiographical. Yeah, fictional autobiographical stories of his childhood. I might be jumping ahead a bit, but it seems that he's kind of a proto-John Hughes. Yeah, it's sort of like that. Um, I mean, John Hughes... He would write stories for the National Lampoon, but obviously the ones that he would develop into more full-length features. Well, his, I would classify John Shepard's, who? Gene Shepard's, as sort of an oral narrative. That they're stories that can be read, but because they started as radio stories, Mm -hmm. they sound more like someone telling you a story even when you read them. And like John Hughes, who wrote for National Lampoon, Gene Shepard eventually started to publish these stories to adapt his oral stories into a written text Mm. for what magazine do you think of when you think of Christmas? Since this is a Christmas episode. We have to keep reminding people this is a Christmas episode. What magazine most makes you think of the Yuletide season? And think of what we watch and what publication would publish those sorts of Mm -hmm. semi-Americana storylines. What would you think? Not life, right? No, Playboy. And (laughs) because two of his big fans, Gene Shepard's, were Hugh Hefner Ah. and Shel Silverstein. Now, Shel Silverstein, we mostly think of for his children's books, like Uh uh, The Giving Tree. The one where the the house is on the cliff. A Light in the Attic? Uh, Sure. I I can see the book. Where the sidewalk ends? I can see the book in Miss Chupa's hands, but I can't (laughs) remember the name of it. But what was interesting about him is he is most famous for his children's book, but he originally was this sort of subversive underground character Mm -hmm. who wrote music and about marijuana and he was always at the Playboy Mansion. He was this wild character. But they said to Gene Shepard, these stories are great. Write them down. And he did. And they were published in a book called In God We Trust, All Others Pay Cash, which then became the basis for the cinematic universe of Ralphie Parker. Oh, is that why? Because the longest credit I've ever seen in any movie ever is the based on in my summer story where I think it was based on several different it was books it was based on In God We Trust and Wanda Hickey's Night of Golden Memories and Other Disasters oh Uh, so it was two compilations but just looking at this list of this interconnected universe I'm sure most people have no idea. If you, these people who watch A Christmas Story every probably, single year. And they probably watch the one movie. Yeah, the stories originated on Shepard's radio programs and in his books and were adapted into a stage play, two theatrical films, four made-for-TV movies, one straight-to-home video, one unaired pilot episode for a planned TV series, one musical adaptation, one <laughs> oh, li- right. live television adaptation of that musical, and one made for streaming. This series <laughs> traverses the different forms of communication. That's true. <laughs> it goes from live television to streaming. And the first one in this saga was actually called The Phantom of the Open Hearth, where, again, Gene Shepard is the narrator, mm-hmm. and the dad is played by James Broderick, Speaking, Father of. Speaking of uh, John Hughes. Right. Matthew Broderick. Then there was other things like the Great American Fourth of July and other disasters. Then a Christmas story. Shucks. Every time he blows a fuse. <laughs> then the star-crossed romance of Josephine Kozowski. Then Ollie Hop Noodles' Haven of Bliss. That was the one that was the Disney one? Yes. That was a made-for-TV film. Uh, follows the Parker family as they travel to a camp. It was a co-production of PBS and Disney Channel. And that one has real... Actually has Jerry O'Connell as Ralph. Oh. 
everyone's favorite uh, co-host of The Talk. <laughs> then we have It Runs in the Family, a.k.a. My Summer Story. Then A Christmas Story 2. Is that the one with... Uh, That's the one with Daniel Stern as the father. That's, that'll be our one next year. And then, of course, we have A Christmas Story Christmas, which I guess is the most... That was the one where Ralphie is grown up, and Ralph is played by the original actor. Yeah, it was actually co-written by Peter Billingsley. Oh. And it was produced by everyone's favorite multi-talented uh, show business person, Vince Vaughn. Oh. Which makes perfect sense. Fred Claus himself. And one of the reasons I liked... Well, what did you think of A Christmas Story? I mean, my history with it was that it was the type of movie that I would only ever see in pieces on television and because I was maybe seeing five to ten minute segments at most it was never enough to get me into the movie, the movie. and it was also at various parts throughout the movie as I came to realize that's the way that Megan watches movies right. this fragmented thing and I think I just kind of became not even resistant towards it, but I just realized I'll eventually see this movie. It's not really high on my priority. Last Christmas, my girlfriend showed it to me for her family loves it. And that's their tradition. And I have to say it is a very charming and very cute slice of American tradition. Mm -hmm. And is it one that I would consider top tier for myself? Not now. But maybe in 15 years from now. Right. And if I watch it every year, maybe. But I think that it's got a lot of real high parts. And I think that the thing that is interesting about it is that it's not all sweet saccharine about the season. Yeah. Well, what, what surprised me about A Christmas Story, as obviously a first-time viewer with... I mean, I, I, it's under 24 hours since I watched right. it. Is It has very little to do with Christmas. For a long stretch of the movie, uh -huh. it doesn't involve Christmas until about the 50-minute mark, 45, 50 minutes in. Oh, okay. The whole opening yeah. is winter stuff. Right, because Ralphie's still in school, right? Yeah, Ralphie's in school, and the kid with the... Because of the omnipresence of this movie, I knew certain things. I knew about the double dog or triple dog dare, uh -huh. where he sticks the tongue on. I knew about the bunny outfit. Costume, right. And I knew about... That scene with Santa Claus where he's doing that. Yeah, he gets what kicked do down the slide. And I liked it, but it's I don't know that I loved it. It's just too late maybe for me. I, I liked it, but I don't know if I liked it as much as my, as my summer story. Do you wonder if maybe it's because that was the very first one that you saw? I think I liked my summer story more. <laughs> This is where people is this gonna are, are going like, to be jumping out of the womb. <laughs> but is this like, like when that, you, that scene at the end of Christmas Vacation where the cops <laughs> go busted in? Welcome to our home. <laughs> May we blink? Is this a similar situation to how you prefer Hangover 2? No. Good thinking. But I liked my summer story more because that felt more to me like Carousel of Progress the movie. Okay. It felt I can, I can understand more that. stylistically like it, that. It felt more thematically. Mm -hmm. Gene Shepard sounded more like his Well, yes, that's because true. Because it was obviously, he recorded the dialogue for the uh, Carousel, Carousel of Progress, Progress in 1993. And that was around the time of my summer story. It's not that I disliked, but it had more, even though, okay, Christmas Story had some great food scenes. Right. Uh, James McGavin is in love with that turkey. He wants to eat the turkey. He's, <laughs> Gene Shepard calls him something like the the turkey lover of the Midwest, something like that. Uh huh. There's actually a scene, and when we watched my summer story, I said, "Oh, is that red cabbage?" They do eat red cabbage in right. a Christmas story. And you were also right when we watched that last night uh, about the little boy with the oatmeal. With the oatmeal. So that also was from that movie. But there was some quality to my summer story that I found very appealing. And I can't quite identify what it was that the movie was doing for me, other than it made me feel more, it had a certain homespun, gee golly quality that was, I think, slightly nicer, which is odd, because that's not normally how I go. Right. But it had a, you're right, a Christmas story has an edge to it that I don't know that my summer story necessarily did and we like Ralphie almost shoots out his eye at one point right in, and in Christmas story and maybe the aspect that I kind of felt 
reminiscent of mm. and and sort of longing for is I think that my summer story captures what's the word I'm looking for the essence of children during the summertime who kind of have nothing to do yeah and the whole long multiple scenes of Ralphie versing <laughs> lug with the spinning top to me, that felt very similar to when you were in elementary school and kids were trying to kind of like show up who either had the better toys. There, or- were, there were these things called crazy bones. Do you remember Crazy Bones, or were you too young? It was where you would buy, you'd go down to Miko Fancy. Do you remember Miko Fancy? Uh, kind which is of. on the corner now, across from Cafe Angelique. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd go to buy Pokemon and, and things like that. And Funny yes, Bones, yes, were these little toys and you'd sort of set them up they were these little square things in, in, in different shapes and you'd set them up in a row and you'd sort of flick them mm-hmm. to knock them down and they were all the rage do you remember those oh my gosh funny wow bones. that unlocked a memory yeah they were you have to look up funny bones this was a huge craze in the in the must be the very late 90s early or early 2000s because I graduated but in 2003. To me, sequences like that in my summer story felt similar to how I remember being a young kid. Yeah. Kind of during the summer when we didn't always have things to do. Oh, except in this case, they did things whereas you and I ate egg creams <laughs> at grandma's house and watched between the lions <laughs> it's apt to compare a christmas story and my summer story both involve the parkers mm-hmm. and both have multiple storylines sort of vignettes yeah but i think there was more vignettes in my summer story than a christmas story right because in a christmas story you have the other thing with a Christmas story is that there's, I don't want to say more fantastical elements, but there's a fair number of either dream sequences or Ralphie fantasizing about certain things. Absolutely right. And that maybe is what kind of muddles the number of vignettes that are in a Christmas story since there's like there's the one where he's fantasizing about getting the good grade in the class there's the one where he's pretending to be uh the cowboy or the and then or what, protecting the house right where he pretends to be blind from putting the soap in his mouth oh right 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 you're right tonally it's so interesting both are almost exactly the same in tone and yet they're not Exact. It does help that you had some people like Bob Clark back at the helm right. to and create Gene the Shepherd. tone again. But a Christmas story is more surreal, whereas my summer story is more satiric, though slightly satiric, mm. because we're watching a memory that's more realistic than a Christmas story, and yet it's sort of tilted to... Like, I don't believe that that actually happened in that exact way in my summer story. There's a slight bend to the story that makes it sort of not making fun of the time period, mm-hmm. but having fun with it. And it's, you have to see it to understand what It's been a means. long time since I've seen Big Fish, but from my memory... Oh, yeah. The whole premise is that the flashbacks during Ewan McGregor, where he's... He's the young Albert Finney. And Albert Finney telling these stories to Billy Crudup are kind of fable-ish. Yes. But what we're seeing is these really fantastical, larger-than-life things. And when Albert Finney passes, right, the stories are kind of larger-than-life, but they're also not super exaggerated. Like, the giant is just a really tall guy. Right. Yeah, it's kind of similar... I mean, again, I'm I'm drawing some... No, but it's the same kind of device because that also is a good example of a movie about filtered memories. Right. That there is truth to these memories, but they're filtered either through hyperbole or distance or sort of a, a received fondness mm-hmm. or a, just a, a plain rewrite and making it more interesting. But both movies have those qualities, A Christmas Story and My Summer Story. And I... I don't know how a diehard Christmas story fan That's a good question. would I don't feel know. about my summer story. Because what's the story of my summer story? It's what happened during Ralphie's summer. Sort of. Some of it. And to that point, I think one of the big things that would probably annoy a, a diehard 
Christmas Story fan is that I'm fairly positive this is supposed to take place only, what, six months after the events of the original movie? I want, they never really specify it, but it must be because not only is it the same teacher, it's the same actress. Right. And in fact, she's the only person to reprise her role on screen. Ah, okay. In, uh, in a summer story. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's sort of if I think it's supposed to be 1939 or 1940. So mm-hmm. Christmas 1939. This is summer 1940. 1940 at the end of the year. And there's also other parallels in a Christmas story. The big arc, the big through line for Ralph is getting the Red Rider BB gun. Yeah, it's getting that BB gun, which is a very strange thing to have on TV nowadays. Although they do. He does almost lose, lose an eye, so right. at least there's some of that. So you have that in A Christmas Story, and then in My Summer Story, the through line is, for Ralphie, the top. He wants to get right. the top. That's why he goes to Miss Ivana, uh, and he goes you, to the different machinations of getting uh-huh. a one of those spinning tops to beat yeah, the bully. Yeah, I guess the comparable item is that he substitutes the gun for the top in this i would almost argue too that the other sort of thing in terms of ralphie growing up and becoming more of a mature Mm. young adult is that he wants to be involved in adult stuff meaning that he wants to go fishing because that's what adults do in air quotes and that's a great point because that was way more tender and heartfelt and uh, had more pathos to it than anything really in a Christmas story, it doesn't really go to that... I'm trying to remember. ...emotional part. Yeah. The ending he, of the movie is... Uh, I know in they, they in go, a Christmas story? Yeah, in a Christmas story. It doesn't have that same... Maybe you could roll your eyes at the, how sweet the ending is where they're in my summer story where they're all sitting around eating fish. Right. <laughs> but... And the liverwurst sandwich. The, 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 now, that was great. A huge hunk of liverwurst. But I don't know. I liked that my summer story went. It even as I say this, I think, well, that doesn't sound like me. Right. Like you would think that I would go for the the, the slightly meaner, slightly more subversive. Additionally, story. you know, due to the fact that Christmas is probably your favorite holiday. Yeah, I love I love Christmas. So with that but too, I love summer. Yeah. And I love huge sandwiches that no one could possibly and eat. And Charles Grodin just annoying the ever-loving <laughs> hell out of his hillbilly neighbors. What was, remember he made that face at one point? I think I told you right. So he, he just makes he makes, just makes some crazy Pretty thing. early in the movie, he does a pretty good mugging the camera scream take. Because as much as I love Darren McGavin, who is an, it's a person you've seen in movies, mm-hmm. you probably know him best if you're from the 90s as the, I'm pretty sure he's Adam Sandler's dad. Yes. In Billy Madison. Yes. Uh, if you're a fan of the airport films. He's which an, you are. He's in Airport 77, which is the one <laughs> where they go under the water. But I don't know. I, I And who's the mom in the first one? Oh. oh Melinda Dillon from the Close Encounters. Of- oh, of course. In Close Encounters. And Fist. Oh, and she's in the Muppet movie. Oh my God. And she's in Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Who is she in that? Myrna. I forget which one I don't that remember is. who Myrna was. She's not the quiet one, right? No, I don't think so. Oh, she was also in Harry and the Hendersons. Was she the mom in Harry and the Hendersons? She was the mom in Harry and the Hendersons. And she was in The Prince of Tides, which is a big one for a lot of Barbara Streisand fans. Sure. Nothing says ring in the holidays like the Prince. Oh, and she was also in Captain America, the 1991. The really cheap one the Golden from, from our friends at Golden Globus. Wow. But for those of you who don't want to even consider... The fact of watching my summer story, uh-huh. it has a great cast. It sure does. Of actors. I mean, even the fact that nowadays most people would probably think it's odd to see Ralphie in this movie, who is. <laughs> I've never watched Succession, but he's one of the kids in Succession. He's, he's my second favorite, uh, Col- uh, Kieran Culkin. Culkin brother, who, of course, I grew up with as Maddie Banks on. Uh, the Father of the Bride. Father movies. of the Bride movies, and what did we decide that this that My Summer Story came out in between? I believe it came out in between one and two. It was certainly after both Home Alone one and two. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Home Alone. Yeah. This came out right the year before Father of the Bride two. And there are some moments I realized as the movie was going on where he makes that face that's very distinct from Home Alone after he's drinking the Pepsi, and they go, "Fuller, stop drinking the Pepsi," and he has that. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Well, there was some point where we said, oh, that's his slapping his hands across oh, the side of his face. He, when they bring back the gun, because remember in the original, he gets shot in the eye. Yeah. This one, he gets shot in the keister. That, okay. So, see, I didn't make that connection. Shame on me. You're right. Because his the little bo- the little brother shoots Randy. him in the keister. But here's a, a weird plot hole. Okay. <laughs> between A Christmas Story and My Summer My Story. Summer story. Much is made in a Christmas story about Ralphie's glasses. I never put two and two together. He has the glasses. There's the whole part where he drops when he's beating the crap out of that one boy and he loses his glasses. Okay, that's a part where they go for a little bit of heart Uh in a Christmas story in that where he's beating the crap out of that kid. And then the mom comes over and takes him away. And then he's worried that, oh, the old man, he's going to have my hide. But then the mom never tells the dad she doesn't want the dad to get upset and yeah. it, it's a bonding moment between Ralphie and the mom that's an example okay I take back what I said that has a little bit of that in A Christmas Story mm-hmm. but the glasses are a major part of A Christmas Story at right. times when you think of the iconic poster and I would say most images of Ralphie maybe they thought that it would be too similar to his character as Fuller because Fuller maybe. wears... Maybe they thought all the Home Alone fans would just say, hey, what is this? <laughs> but crazy. as I'm sitting about it, thinking about it too, this is 11 years after A Christmas Story. Yeah. So it must have in that time been enough of a success on television and have enough of a following for them to say, we're going to do another one of them. Yeah. You would think, and I mean, they do bring back the BB gun. They do bring back a few other things. Why would you leave off that? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the choice was. And I'm not exactly sure what spawned. It had to have been a, a success, the other one. Otherwise, they never would have done it. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the Gene Shepard began working on the film in 1989. After the television film, Ollie Hoop Noodle, he wanted to make My Summer Story to make money. Because the amount of royalties he was making off the telecasts and re-releases of A Christmas Story compared to his television productions was so astronomical that he decided, you know what, I'm not going to do any more TV productions. I'm going to make a lot of money, which is really in keeping with the Christmas spirit. Right. <laughs> and I thought Kieran and Culkin was good. I mean... He's, he's a different Ralphie. Sure. And the first kid's better. That, again, I think is what's going to set off a lot of people is that... He's not trying to play that same level. Kieran Culkin is doing his own thing. Yeah. And one could probably argue that, I mean, is he not successful? No, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. He's just doing his own interpretation. But the caveat of that is you've had this movie that has become a legacy following over 10 years. Right. People are going to want to see a similar type of Ralphie. And I think the original Ralphie was more distinct in his performance. There mm-hmm. was a, there was more... He was unique. He was singular. Yeah. He wasn't quite an actor. He was just sort of being himself, I, I assume. And Kiernan Culkin is maybe a little too polished. He's maybe a little too experienced. He got too much of that uh, Culkin blood sure. surging through his aorta. <laughs> but I thought he was, he was good. Charles Grodin... Again, it's hard to compare because James McGavin is great. But come on, Charles Grodin. Anytime Charles Grodin is angry and he's growling a lot. Okay. Rise and shine, Ralphie. We're on fresh and fresh, 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 fresh. Okay, you bumpuses. I'm going to put on a photograph here. I'm going to ruin your night. Yeah, I, I, I was actually trying to watch that part the little dance. where he's dancing. I couldn't get my, my, I couldn't time up my great Muppet caper on my uh, <laughs> Disney+. Plus. But this is really a prime part. This is the what he does great, Charles Grodin. Yeah. Of playing, and he, he played insecure parts also in movies, but when he plays that really flustered and just on the end of his rope, on the edge of the ledge. It's similar in style and tone to what I first knew him as, which was the dad in Beethoven. Yes, that's what I knew him also. That really just... Well, okay, Ralphie is after what? His whole involves the top, wanting to get the top and to connect with his dad and go fishing with his dad. Yeah. That's a big thing. The dad, the old man, mm-hmm. Charles Grown, is having this sort of, what were the, that famous hillbilly feud? The Hatfields the Hat and the McCoys. McCoy. That's sort of what's going on, <laughs> where he's I fighting guess. with the neighbors next door. The bumpuses. Now, 
having reviewed it, the Bumpuses definitely live next door. And the dogs, you were right, the Bloodhounds. Right. I'm going to guess probably not the same dog actors, but in Christmas There's that Story, whole scene, right, where the dogs They like, break into havoc. the house. They do a B&E. They do what <laughs> Sindel and uh, Wicked. Wicked do, where they break into Wilford Brimley's. They made muffins. <laughs> and they, steal, they eat the turkey. But in My Summer Story, it goes a, a step forward where we finally see the Bumpuses, and they mm. are your cliche hillbilly Ozark. Lester's Possum Park gang. Moonshine on your knee, banjo on your knee character. To the, to the point where... Because the whole impetus, right, is that Charles Grodin is annoyed that the Bumpuses have created an outhouse. His first huge argument with them is that they don't have zoning permits. Yes, that that doesn't meet safety codes. <laughs> and so his and the music. I think their hillbilly, whatever you call that music, was initially disturbing him. And I think just their overall obnoxious behavior and having forty three bloodhounds. Sure, not exactly the most <laughs> neighborly thing to do. <laughs> Because there's a whole scene where he falls in some, you know, dog waste, waste, shall we say? But come on, he's he and and he's 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 waging war. He has the the what does he do? It, it, the phonograph was one, and then at a later time, remember he uses the same phonograph but with police siren noises, and he pretends that he's called an air raid or something like that, right. and then the whole town starts to just. They're yelling at Charles Grodin because they've moved. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that was pretty funny. But Charles Grodin is also speaking in not an accent, but in a certain cadence mm-hmm. that I think is just lovely. Well, is he trying to imitate the old man from the original? Not really. Not really. Okay. It's so, It's not co- A bad actor would try to do the era... Like transatlantic. That, yeah, or or trying to sound, well, I'm going to talk fast, see, because this is 1940s, see, and I'm right. going to talk like this. But it's more stylized. But come on, Charles Grodin, <laughs> the, he gets stepped on in King Kong 76. That's true. How could you not love Charles Grodin feuding with hillbillies? And he's married to the always great, but not on this show always. Well, I, I said to you when we were watching it yesterday um, that I felt I was so glad that Mary Steen Burgeon turned out to be in my summer story. Right. Because we were not so receptive to her the last time. Her non-performance. Her non-performance this time. And I, I believe I also said to you that in the first five seconds of my summer story, screen. <laughs> she gives more of a performance than she did in all of Turkey Hollow. That's true. I would say that there's a few less highs and lows in my summer story. I think that, I mean, I don't know that I loved it as much as you did. Well, I liked, I, I enjoyed it a mm-hmm. lot. I, I, maybe I enjoyed it because I had no expectation. That's okay. But Mary Steen Burgeon, I thought was right on the money. She also has her own storyline that this is what was a little bit jarring was that Ralphie in the original movie, or rather I should say Gene Shepard only narrates as Ralphie when Ralphie is in the scene and mm-hmm. because Ralphie is in a majority of the scenes he's narrating what Ralphie sees feels or thinks and can actually be involved in the scene with but in my summer story there's a number of times in which Ralphie as an adult is narrating what the mom or the dad is seeing and Ralphie was never there for you're absolutely right his point of view changes because in the th- my summer story, he's a completely omniscient narrator. Right. Meaning he's able to get into the thoughts and feelings of... All the characters. Of all the, the characters. The point of view changes. I'm trying to think of what the exact term is, but in A Christmas Story, he's a limited narrator. Meaning he's limited to his own stuff. Right. In My Summer Story, it's more omniscient. And there's also... A lot more narration in My Summer Story. Almost every scene is narrated compared to uh, A Christmas Story, which is more tethered. It's it's more lim- it's That's limited also of the amount of... Uh-huh. But Mary Steenburgen's whole part is she and the other women... <laughs> I will say that was pretty funny. Have and been the writing, payoff for that was pretty have funny. Have been writing away to, I think, some... I don't even know what you would call it because it had something to do with... 
wasn't Ronald it like, Coleman gravy boats. But weren't they a subscription service, basically, yeah. where you would like you would send money to whatever Some this company, company is yeah. and you would get back gifts or and, and part of the gifts were supposed to be different i think kitchen appliances, items not even appliances but like uh, dishes and silverware yeah. with a different actor's face on them <laughs> and in this case the first one she gets is a ronald coleman <laughs> gravy, gravy boat. boat and ronald coleman was from a tale of two cities random harvest he's famous for having a very eloquent voice mm -hmm. and it turns out that the company is starting to screw them because every time they go to collect a new item Prize. it's the exact and she ends up with a whole shelf <laughs> not a shelf excuse me a whole cabinet right a sack full of these gravy boats Ronald Coleman gra gravy boats <laughs> And of course, the person who's uh, in charge... Oh, they go to the Orpheum Theater. And oh, I see. It's a collection of celebrity dishes, one per each dish night at the Orpheum Theater, run by Leopold Doppler. Played by the very funny Glenn Shaddix. Who we lost far too soon, but he... Again, he's another of these actors where... And he's not given a ton to do in the movie. But he does get plates thrown at him. Right. And you get to see Mary uh, Steenburgen get a, her mugshot taken. But Glenn Shaddix... Well, Glenn Shaddix is in another Christmas movie. What oh, other Christmas um, movie? Oh, I'm just, I just had it. Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes, I believe he's... He's the mayor. Yes, he's the mayor. And of course, he's in... Uh, Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. And he was in a famous episode of my... Uh, oh, God. That one with Will, Will Smith. Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince, where he is sort of in that episode kind of playing Otho because he's doing a seance or a mock seance. But of course, you can't forget about his Academy Award nominated turn as the. <laughs> oh, I know what you're going to say. You mean Dunstan The frustrated Chex. guest. <laughs> I got to rewatch that again. I forget. There's a really. <laughs> what's the really funny part with him? Well, where he's working it, out. He's right? working out. Yeah. Does he break his glasses? Yes. Does someone come in to massage him? No. He. Gets his glasses broken and thinks that he's walked into a room that turns out is where that old woman was getting rubbed down and then he gets slapped. Okay, but isn't there someone who's getting a massage and then someone comes in? It's the old woman. And she... She takes the cabana boy. Yes. And let's not forget Glenn Shaddix's other winning role. By the way, he did not win. No. He must no, make no, no. It. But he almost won an Academy Award for his role as Senator Nado in the pretty atrocious Tim Burton... Planet of the Apes. Not the greatest. And of course, he was also in another movie that I've not seen called Bartok the Magnificent. Ah, yes. Which, by the way, a few weeks ago, I told you I wanted to watch Anastasia. Uh-huh. And I did. Not a great story, but it's a story <laughs> nonetheless. Story what can I tell you? <laughs> and again, I can't really decide. We're doing this as a Christmas movie, mainly because it's not a Christmas movie. Right. But one of the negatives I did feel about my summer story was... It felt more to me, though, like kids out of school, not necessarily kids during the summer. Okay, it, I don't know fair. that it really engaged in a lot of summer iconography. There wasn't any swimming. There weren't any really barbecues. The, I mean, the closest you could make the argument is that they go to the local town fair. Oh, okay, okay. And with Ralphie, he wants to go fishing and goes fishing a bunch. I guess fishing is... But at the same time, I don't know that, to me, fishing automatically makes me think of summer. The fair more so. Yeah. But you're right. I would have liked if Ralphie had to go to the local swimming club or something. Or he... Because which was the one that where they go to the candy store? Was that Christmas Story no, or that's My this Summer one, Story? My Summer Story. Where the one kid is giving that manager a real hard time about what he wants for... Didn't he want a Mary Jane and there was something else? A barrel well, of monkeys? Then there's that whole part that really gets into a more dramatic tone where there's this tax. Oh, yeah. That's taxing... The citizens of Cleveland. The guy from Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, yes. where he comes in and he's taxing. I guess that's a real thing. I had no clue Mary, that that's yeah, a so real it, thing. So the state or the city would tax you based upon the amount of items you had in your house. So Which is why they, she was going around hiding the specific types of... Well, she almost had the fish tank. Right. <laughs> but she was hiding plates or she was hiding stuff. Right. So that they wouldn't get taxed so heavily. <laughs> They have this taxidermied elephant foot. Oh, right. <laughs> that they're using as an end table. 
Which really, but the, how did they get that? But that I think is a reference to a Christmas story where there's this whole part where the dad gets a gift that's oh, a, the, the, the la- leg, the leg lamp, yeah. But what becomes the dramatic part of it? Oh yes, is I know what you're talking about. The neighbors can't afford the Kissel family. The Kissels couldn't afford the tax, had to sell their stuff and their house, and you never saw them again. Right. Merry Christmas. <laughs> So that's what I mean. They go into a little bit more of the... It actually reminds me of the plays of Horton Foote, who wrote a whole series of plays that were set in a sort of bucolic, turn-of-the-century Texas about these small families. And I don't know that A Christmas Story dealt with multiple families. And I guess this one doesn't either, but it touches on... The other people in the community, the Bumpkisses or whoever they're called, the people across the street. Yeah. I mean, the Kissels get that one scene, really. But although I have to say the turkey looked good in A Christmas Story. Yeah. Have we ever had turkey? You and I have spent not every single Christmas and Christmas Eve together, but quite a few. Quite a few. I don't think we've ever had a traditional Christmas turkey for Thanksgiving. Not for for Thanksgiving we have, but for Christmas. What was uh, our traditional... Because usually, for years, we had Christmas Eve together. Right. Rarely Christmas Rarely Day. Rarely Christmas Day. But Christmas Eve, what was the traditional Christmas food that Grandma would make for us? Lasagna. But Christmas lasagna. Now, do you know what the difference <laughs> is between Christmas lasagna was and it, the lasagna that she made every other... <laughs> was it actually made fresh, whereas the other time it was frozen? It was eaten on Christmas. Oh, okay. It was cooked on the 4th of July. <laughs> it was defrosted on, on Rosh Hashanah. I don't have time. And then it was, but I don't think I've ever had turkey on Christmas. Uh, I don't think I've ever had that. Uh, on Christmas Eve, I should say. Well, I don't, I don't think, think I so. ever had... Because when we go to Andiamo's, we never had... No. Is that, that's where we went last year, right? Yeah. Have you ever had... This frightened me when I was in Boston. It never occurred to me. I didn't go, but my friends, they had... I, uh, what's that called when when, when uh, people who are not related have a Thanksgiving? Friendsgiving. Friendsgiving. And they had macaroni and cheese. Uh-huh. Have we ever had macaroni and cheese for Thanksgiving? Never. I don't think so, right? Never. As soon as they said that they had that, I thought, wait a minute. Do people do that? That's not something we do. Or green bean casserole. That I've seen. I've seen, but I've never had green bean. I don't bean. think we've ever had it. We, yeah. No, we don't have that. We, uh, we Especially when it, when Grandma used to get it from uh, Costco. Right. <laughs> if she was still around, she, she would love to go to the uh, Sam's Club Walmart that they have down in Seacaucus. Right. Do you say Seacaucus or Secaucus? Eh, I mean, my instinct is to say Secaucus, but that's also because that's the way that I hear it on the automated the train. next stop. Secaucus. See, I was watching a movie called Return of the Secaucus or Secaucus 7, which is John Sayles' original, his directorial debut. And I thought, wait a minute, I always say Secaucus, but I've heard people here say Secaucus. So I looked it up and it turns out that both are acceptable. <laughs> so... Thank goodness. So as you go into your holiday, consider these facts. (laughs) And I don't know, having now watched this, I don't know that this would be added to... Did you have any new additions last year to your Christmas viewing? Did you watch anything new? Well, last year was the first time I watched it fully. Okay. So let me just see. I'm going to check mine Hmm. because I don't know that I, I watched anything... Necess- I know I have some a lot of repeats or things that were well. Okay, here's one that I know we both saw. That we Violent saw. Violent Night. Yeah, Violent Night. Okay, I don't know that I count. Did that we talk about how we didn't like it? We must have in the wrap up. Last year was the first time I had seen the Muppet Family Christmas because okay. I never saw that growing up. That was up. a good one. That's that was where, a good one. That's where they keep walking into fo- the whole what? whole plot of that one is the Muppets are going to Fozzie's mom's house for Christmas, so she's not sad. Right. I believe was what the plot was. That was a fun one because it was this nexus point. It was this, uh-huh. what do you call that? Uh, this sort of... Con- Convergence what, of What's that called in Loki where the different... crossover. But, but in Loki, remember when the timelines converge? And they oh, and they crash I know what into you're each other. About. I can't because in this one the timelines are the Muppets, a Fraggle Rock people, uh-huh. and Sesame Street. My two favorite jokes from a Muppet Family Christmas are 
<laughs> when they keep walking inside Fozzie's mom's house. And there's ice. There's ice and everyone just keeps falling. <laughs> and the other is that one of the Muppets there is a turkey. And the Swedish right. chef has to kill this turkey. They're trying to prevent the chef from killing their friend. The other one that I know I watched last year for, I don't know if it was for the first time, but it was for the first time in a while, was the Disney Babes in Toyland. Mm. The one with Annette Funicello and Ray Bulger. Not good. Not for you. Very slow, very dull. We watched A Muppet Family Christmas on July, no, on December. December. But, oh, the other one I watched that I told you about was called All Mine to Give, which is very loosely a Christmas movie. And that's with Glynis Johns, uh-huh. who most people know as um, the mom in uh, Mary Poppins. And that's where these immigrants, and they have these five kids or six kids, and they build a, a house, a, a barn. Not a barn. What do you call that? A log cabin. Mm-hmm. And the parents die. And the oh. kids have to sell each other off. Jeez. And it's the, one of these. That's It's part of that, you know, where it says four Christmas classics oh, or yeah, four yeah. Stallone classics. And you're saying that you're thinking, this is the most depressing movie. <laughs> it's more depressing than that terrible. Demeter. Demeter. Oh. But I don't know. Like, I'm not going to add Elmine to give to my Christmas. No. And I don't know that I would. I, maybe if I watch it during the actual holiday season a christmas story right i might be a little bit more into it but yeah and i didn't dislike it i just didn't feel anything i had no emotional resonance for me as a viewer and as an objective viewer i thought it was fun it was funny at times it moved that's true like my summer story moved mostly well and i also think that the different vignettes in my summer story I think they, well, there's more, like I said, more dream sequence and more kind of fantastical elements about A Christmas Story. Although I did like the part where the dad is changing the tire Uh and Ralphie says the F word. And then later on, the mom, he says, he says the kid who taught him this word and the mom calls the other kid's mom and she says, Ralphie says that your son told him this word and you hear the other mother screaming. (laughs) Like, it's the worst thing to ever happen. But the spinning top bit, for example. Okay. That, I think, has a fun, stylistic, montage And a great musical sequence. <laughs> well, I must say, watching it on YouTube yeah. was the only way that we had at our disposal to watch this movie. Because we didn't really want to buy it. I guess we found... You said you found, found it? it while we were watching. I think the problem was I typed in A Summer Story. Oh my God, it's only $9. Oops. But I don't really know that I need that. (laughs) Although it is $20 if you want the Blu-ray. But you were saying. The way that it was shot had the sort of fun playing up. Because the kids are taking the spinning top thing so seriously that it's treated like a life or death high stakes thing. And it's shot with that same. It's sort of like the ending of Fallout. Right. (laughs) Where they're trying to disable the two bombs. (laughs) But. You're right. Watching this is on YouTube did lead to one of the... <laughs> I think this was maybe... Was this the least successful yes. experience of what? I, I think oh, Never no, no. Story 3 was You're worse. right. I thought you meant of, of them adding music. Because we've a couple of things we watched, they did... As far as I understand it, the way to get around certain copyright laws mm-hmm. with YouTube is you can put a whole movie up as long as you do something to it, which is why a lot of times if you watch some of these things, the color is sort of off yeah, or there's a text running over it or it's blown up or shrunk because that falls under comment. So like Ah. that's why people can do the videos where they do comment videos because you're taking the material and you're exercising your right to comment and have an opinion on it. Right. So the way they sometimes do that Cutting out the dialogue and just suddenly having someone's crappy mixtape. Because at first I thought, wait a minute. I, th- I thought at first a commercial was coming on. Well, and I thought that maybe the audio, this was a, an upload to YouTube. So maybe when they ripped the DVD or something, that the audio and video got out of sync. Because the clearest example I can think of is when Ralphie goes to show off his new spinning top that he bought, that he thinks has been smuggled in from China. Yeah. And he's dressed almost like he's a cowboy and there's the kind of 
what's that? There's that sort of not slide whistle, but there's that like yeah, yeah, and it almost sounds western-ish show like a Clint Eastwood music. spaghetti Leone exactly. uh, spaghetti western. But then the music starts to get a little bit too loud. And it also seems to be starting to change stylistically because suddenly it feels like an R&B weird elevator music. Because at fir- but at first we weren't sure. But definitely we knew that part of it had to have been a montage because clearly there was quick cuts. Mm-hmm. They weren't really speaking. You could tell it was a montage, but it was jarring and it was slightly frightening. And it went on. I thought that thing from the latest Mission Impossible oh. was hacking into <laughs> your entity. Yeah. But it eventually cuts back to the regular audio, but it did still go on for two to three minutes. Do you remember the part where I thought there was a time traveler in my summer story? Oh, yes, that's right. Where that guy, do you remember what his name was? Roy Brocksmith? Yes, I believe so. And he's he's been in a lot of... He is the guy who is in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, who is the tax man. Yeah, he comes in this, he's the one, and he's yeah, he's holding a mirror, but it's a mirror that looks like an iPhone. Right. And I thought, wait a minute, either the movie is a time traveler or this guy is a time or the prop guy is a time traveler. <laughs> right, right, right. Do you also remember how Charles Grodin begins instigating the fight between him and the Bumpus? No, totally. So he goes to tell them about not being zoned for the outhouse mm-hmm. and he's stepped in the neighbor's dog waste. Okay. Yes. So he lost his shoe. And he's, he's yelling at the one Bumpus member, and that Bumpus member is chewing a whole lot of tobacco. Oh, yes. Of, uh, yeah, chewing tobacco. And there's a very, very gross Zack Snyder slow-mo shot of the guy <laughs> spinning this wad of chewing tobacco out, and it arches suddenly out the, of his mouth. Suddenly the movie was directed by... Mission Impossible 2's <laughs> John, John Woo. Let's see if we can reference all, all the Mission Impossibles. And the spittle and the chewing tobacco arcs in slow motion from his mouth all the way onto Charles Grodin's bare naked foot. And it, it splatters. Charles Grodin isn't willing to back down. So the one Bumpus family member, Big Dicky. Yeah. Remember he shows how intimidating he is because he goes to the Bumpus's porch. So this is his own family member's house. Remember he rips the porch off the house with his bare hands? Yes. He does a remodeling. <laughs> but then Charles Grodin uses that to his own advantage throughout the movie. Because remember when he's trying to annoy the family and use the the gramophone to get them to leave or whatever. He first distracts the dogs who are all on the top floor. And remember, they start running out of the house and they fall off the edge where the porch was. Yes. So there's a cascade of dogs landing in (laughs) mud and stuff. Yeah. I cannot think of another movie. There's only one other movie I can think of where that scenario happens. And it's Doctor Strange, where in this movie... Charles Grown wants to annoy the Bumpuses to leave. Uh-huh. And Doctor Strange, <laughs> Doctor Strange annoys Dormammu. I want to talk, before we go open presents and eat eggnog, sure. or drink eggnog, I want to talk a little bit more about the, the career of Roy Brocksmith. Because oh, okay. I have a few connections for you. Okay, he was also, he was in the Golden Girls as a, a guy who's going to tear down Blanche's grandmother's Estate. He was also in Arachnophobia as the mortician. Oh, I think he's the one who dies when the spider goes into falls his shoe? into his uh, the popcorn. Remember, he's at yes, home with his wife. That's the one. He was also in Total Recall. Okay. And he was also in the Psycho remake. Really. And he was also in another Christmas movie that we like, Scrooged. He's the mailman in the Christmas present, Christmas past part when, oh. when Bill Murray's dressed up like the dog. <laughs> and That's right. So uh, I don't know that there's... Wait. Yeah, go ahead. I totally forgot about this part. Oh, my God. Remember how the whole arc with Ralphie going fishing mm-hmm. is that throughout most of the movie, he's keeps going back to the lake even though he's not catching anything. And no one's catching anything, it yes. seems to be the thing. And at the very end of the movie, Ralphie gets the first bite. And suddenly, all these people in the boat start catching hundreds of fish. And yes. they... They bring their hordes of fish back to Mary Steenburgen to cook them up a nice dinner. And Randy, remember, he wants fish himself, but he wants to go fishing in the little fish tank in their house. Oh, 
my god! How did we get this far? And, and he about wants that. to eat their goldfish named. Do you remember the name? No. Geppetto. Geppetto. That's right. <laughs> and then they they sw- they do a they, they swindle him because Charles Grodin palms the goldfish <laughs> and tricks the kid. <laughs> Into thinking he's eating the goldfish when it's really crappies, but the, which the, are lake fish. But remember the kid, Randy, keeps going, I want to eat that goldfish. <laughs> I want to eat that goldfish. And then after he thinks he's eating the goldfish, he goes, I ate that goldfish. <laughs> that, that was a good looking fish fry, though. Sure was. Not so much a liverwurst sandwich. No, the liverwurst was a too much. I'm not a huge liverwurst uh, fan, but I guess you would say you preferred... What was that movie? Christmas Christmas Story? Story? Uh, See, I I feel so muted about it. I felt more feelings Mm -hmm. for my summer story. Maybe it is the uh, Hangover 2 thing. I mean, I think that one is obviously more beloved, culturally speaking. Oh, sure. I just think that it's honestly, it's really tough because it's not that... Well, weirdly, I don't know why this movie in particular was sort of dumped out because maybe the original name it runs in the family mm-hmm. didn't do it any favors because truthfully i think that's kind of a bad well that I was the second really... name the original name was my summer story then oh, they changed right. it for the theaters and i don't really know that that has anything <laughs> to do with and neither does the poster because the poster is the house wrapped in a straitjacket. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i would have thought it would have been ralphie and his dad and the whole family, like, on a very, very small boat or something. <laughs> I don't know. I enjoyed it for how it felt similar to... The Christmas Christ- Story? No, that other one. The, the Bride. Oh, Carousel Progress. Progress. And we must... We, we kind of mentioned it, but this was directed by a terrific director. Right, Bob and writer, Clark. Bob Clark, who directed a very different... I believe... I've never seen this movie. But I believe it's quite a different Christmas movie. Oh, one of my absolute favorites. Is that a favorite of yours? I love Black Christmas. And you know, the funny thing is, I only saw that for the first time, maybe the Christmas of 2020. Okay. And what's the exact plot of that? So it is, and I am of the mindset that it is, I believe that it is one of the first movies to kickstart the slasher phase because it was made 1973 or 1974 Four, yeah and it is about a group of college sorority girls who are staying at their sorority house before the holiday season begins it's sort of in the last days of their semester and they keep getting these very disturbing and very very unsettling phone calls from a stalker and I don't want to give too much away, but it turns out that the stalker might actually be a lot closer than they think. Sounds a little scream-like. It's certainly a precursor to Halloween, to Scream. Oh, Olivia Hussey. I love Olivia, Olivia Hussey. Olivia who, who was Norman Bates' mom. And she was also four. Juliet in the original Romeo and Juliet. You have Margot Kidder. You have... Um, oh, Andrea Martin. Andrea Martin. From My Big Fat Greek Wedding 3, which we just <laughs> saw her poster. And Bob Clark also directed a movie that I really like called Murder by Decree, which is a, a Holmes story with Christopher Plummer uh-huh. as Holmes. And it's Holmes and... Oh, that was the Jack the Ripper one? It's uh, involving Jack the Ripper, yeah. So it's Holmes meets Jack the Ripper. That's cool. And of course, Bob Clark also directed the legendary Porky's, which... <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of. I liked it. I was okay with it. Never saw it. Porky's 2 the next day. Eh. Porky's Revenge. Eh. He didn't direct either of those. (laughs) But but Bob Clark. uh, I mean. Oh, no. Bob Clark directed Porky's 2. I mean, I I have to say, I think that it helps that he came back to make my summer story to still make it feel tonally Mm. like the original. And it is undeniable that someone who loves a Christmas story will try to compare it to the original. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is fair in the sense that it is trying to be another chapter in the Parker's story. Mm -hmm. But I also think that it's unfair because they're kind of two totally different movies, really. Yeah, it's it's a fair comparison, but it's sort of unfair at the same time now of the movies we've talked about these holidays Uh we've talked about monster go home we've talked about turkey hollow right and we've talked about my summer story none 
Well, actually, of, of those three, only one of them kind of deals with their holiday, with their holiday which is Turkey Hollow. And that, I would argue, is the worst of them. Oh, by far. Well, how would you rank them? In terms of what I would want to revisit? Yeah, put it that way. My Summer Story, Munster, Turkey Hollow. I agree. Wait, no, no, I'm sorry. My Summer Story, Munster. Oh, yeah. Most everything we've ever seen ever, Turkey Hollow. Does Turkey Hollow, what about Turkey Hollow versus Baby Baby Huey? Huey? Put Turkey Hollow and Baby Huey, one of those celebrity death match things. Who comes out, who, who do you want to come out the winner? They were both so miserable. Oh, gosh. I think they should just both... You know what? <laughs> that, that's one of the only They should instances. both fall into the sewer pit with uh, Ralphie's tops. Oh, by the way, we have to make sure we mention this. this is oh, the that's right. Of course. Vital thing. How dare we? Lug Ditka, who was the main bully. But that was the weird thing. And correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. Isn't the main bully in A Christmas Story Scott Furcus? Mm, they're sort of a tag team in that one. Oh, oh I thought it was... And Scud Furcus, though, he was the one that had the sort of the raccoon hat, right? I don't remember. In the original. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think oh. it's the other guy. I think it's R.D. Rob, I think. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. The point being, in this version, because you have to get all new kids, yes. the main bully that Ralphie's going up against is a kid named Lug Ditka. The actor, we went down a huge spiral searching through his filmography because we found out that he is Freddy's unborn son in Nightmare 5. Yes. Duckface from Full House. <laughs> yes. He's and, Stephanie's friend, Duckface, yes. And the kid who annoys the hell out of Alan Grant at the beginning of Jurassic Park 1. And uh, that is show business. Oh, what'd you say, Megan? Oh, we're getting ready for presents? Okay. You have the... Oh, you have the turkeys ready? Okay. Uh, we have to... Mention and you've got what? Oh no! It's rump all over your rumpus room. <laughs> Pumpkin pie. It's Christmas. <laughs> you can steal City Hall. What? What was? Uh, I asked you the other day to please take a screenshot. Oh, of course. As we were, this is a, a quick turnaround. It's actually a little bit over a week. No, no, it's not. Uh, this has been such a long week. I forget where four we days. are. It was four days ago. Close. I told you when we were deciding what we wanted to talk about, you were doing some Google searches that I was saying to you, could you Google these things? Right, because we were, I forget how the conversation started. Yeah. But obviously we had to look up either some filmographies or we had to look up some movies and whatever. Yeah. The search began with, technically my search began with Mrs. Doubtfire because I was trying to figure out what year that came out. Then it moved to Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities. Okay. Which then morphed into David S. Goyer. Yes. Which then morphed into My Summer Story. Yes. And then I think there was a little bit of a break because later we looked up The Ghost in the Darkness since I couldn't figure out which streaming service that was on. Then it morphed into A Kid in King Arthur's Court, followed up by its straight-to-video sequel, a Kid in Aladdin's Palace. And there, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> is proof that we are not pretending to be this This isn't cool. a bit. This isn't a bit that at all. Everything you've heard, sadly, happens when these mics are not rolling. off. What'd you say, Megan? Don't even tell me that you didn't talk about this when you had a car phone. Megan, there's no privacy at all, all around, around this place. place. There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. Shining at the end of every day. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow. Obscure Obsessions 3 is directed and produced by Taylor and Nick Zaccario and is a co production with Tan Productions. Special thanks to Anchor for podcast distribution and to Twin Musicom and Walpurnian Music for providing the score. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for episode details, previews, and more. And check out our blog at obscureobsessionsblog.blogspot.com for movie recommendations, lists, reviews, and articles. We thank you for your continued support.